It's been a year since Russia invaded Ukraine. If you are someone who has been regularly following the news, then you might have heard of the Kyiv Independent. In the last few months, the Kyiv Independent has become one of the prominent news sites bringing out breaking stories from war zones. Several magazines and journalism think tanks have tracked how this media house has grown. The website of the Kyiv Independent explains in brief how it all started. Here's how it goes. Quote, the Kyiv Independent is Ukraine's English language media outlet created by journalists who were fired from the Kyiv Post for defending editorial independence. The Kyiv Post went silent on November 8, 2021, days after celebrating the 26th year. The publication was shut down by the owner in his attempt to take full control of the newsroom that has always followed the principle of editorial independence. Yet, the editorial team of the independent Kyiv Post refused to be silenced. On November 11, 2021, over 30 ex-Kyiv Post employees decided to continue the Kyiv Post legacy by launching a new publication, the Kyiv Independent. But then two months later, the war started. The Russian president says a military operation is now underway in eastern Ukraine. Ukraine has declared a state of emergency. The full-scale invasion that intelligence officials had been warning about for weeks is now underway. And there are reports of explosions and attacks at several major Ukrainian cities. Starting in the city of Kiev, there has been uh, reports of explosions. Last November, the Hindu business line had the opportunity to attend Splice Beta in Thailand. It's a journalism startup festival where news shows from over 45 countries took part to talk about monetization, audience engagement, and what it takes to run a sustainable media business. One of the speakers of Beta was Jakob Parsonsky, the chief financial officer of the Cape Independent. He narrated the behind the scenes of how the Kyiv Independent started, how the editorial team raised funds, how they do their journalism, and most importantly, what does it take to run a media business during war. Jakub and I later got into a conversation, and this is how it went. My name is Mohammed Rayan, and you are listening to the Hindu Business Line podcast. I arrived in 2009. I first joined a smaller publication and went on to join the Kiev Post and basically worked there as a journalist and a lifestyle editor, a business editor, a chief editor, and finally CEO. So it was quite the journey. And I became CEO just before the Euromaidan revolution and, and then left in sort of mid-2014 after about a year. It just it was a very tiring year. The war had started, the revolution. And to be honest, I also wanted to brush up on my business knowledge. So I left to do an MBA uh, in SAD. A few years later, I came back and did a few projects with the Cave Post, but didn't really come back there full-time. I started working as a media consultant with lots of different media in Ukraine and, and around Ukraine. I set up a company which works in over 30 different countries now. Jakob then explained how the Kyiv Independent started. He also gave a quick history about the Ukrainian media sector and the newest trends that's coming up recently. Ukraine, I would say, has a surprisingly vibrant media scene for several decades now. And one of the reasons was it was a big country in Eastern Europe. You know, it 
had a population of almost 50 million. When the Soviet Union collapsed, it's been losing because there's been a lot of migrations within the ex-Soviet bloc. But it was a big country, I would say, relatively free compared to other ones, compared to Russia, compared to Belarus, but even some of the Central European states. It had a space for media, um, but a lot of the media was controlled by oligarchs. And the oligarchs used media for their own purposes and to do some political stuff. But despite this, there was a strong sort of, I would say, initially activist-driven media sector, which later was supported by various international organizations that started doing good quality news, like in the late 90s and early 2000s, that was sort of the birth of it. And that was also the time that the Kiev Post was born, although that was a purely for-profit publication, which was in English about Ukraine for international audiences. And uh, basically what happened with the Kiev Post is the owner, so what we believe is that there was political pressure on him, but anyway, he ended up firing all of the staff, the staff left over a conflict about editorial independence, and they set up the Kiev Independent in the end of November 2021. In the meantime, if we look at the rest of the Ukrainian media sector, it's actually grown to become quite strong. There's a lot of fantastic publications. I would say they are quite innovative digitally. There's data journalism. There's very interesting stuff with visualizations. Podcasts are picking up slowly. A lot of the media, I would say, are now relatively self-sustainable to different degrees, but there's a lot of membership going on. They have very creative native advertising environments and things like that. So it was really a booming media sector. And one of the things that people were remarking upon when the war started was that it was two countries with no free press, or it's not quite no free press, but extreme censorship, extremely authoritarian. Belarus and Russia were attacking the country that was you know, one of the region's most vibrant in terms of press freedom and sort of the media sector. It's very much a conflict between a very authoritarian, you know, jingoistic, nationalistic entity and one that is relatively, of course, but liberal, multicultural. Ukraine is quite diverse. So it's very, two very different entities. So how is the transformation from a news swing that was just doing news to someone going beyond, you know, behind war zone. Yeah. I mean, that would have been emotionally and mentally really exhausted. But what kept you and your team going? I mean, it's been a really exhausting year because just launching a new company is already pretty tough. The first couple of months worked extremely hard. I think, you know, we were working weekends, nights without a break for weeks. It was really, really nonstop. Around January, we had the chance to get a little bit of a break because there's always this downtime after the new year. In Ukraine, everything slows down. So the first two weeks are a little bit quiet. So people managed to get a small breath and then it was back to full speed because we needed to fill the, the company and be successful and everything, fundraise and tell the whole world about us. And, you know, then the war arrived. And I would say since then, you know, the team's been working incredibly hard. And now we've sort of gotten into a routine, but yeah, it's been a, it's been a very challenging year. What's keeping us going? Culty, adrenaline and sense of mission, I guess. Yeah. I also asked Jakub, what are the challenges Olga Rodenko, the editor-in-chief of the Kiev Independent and her team says when they go out for reporting? And this is what Jakub said. 
Well, I can't speak because this is really Olga's job and she's the chief editor. She is running her team. She has complete independence and veto power. So, you know, at the end of the day, she is the supreme leader of all of this. I guess from my perspective, it's difficult. I was working at the KF Post with Olga and Darina, who is now the CEO when the revolution happened. And, you know, there's such a thing as a profession of war reporter, people who do that, you know, that's their calling and they do that all over the world and they become really trained and educated and professional in it. Uh, When it's happening in your country, you don't have a choice. But I think a couple of principles are, we don't force anyone to do something like you're allowed to leave, right? So you can't be forced. If you are on the ground, you are the one who makes the ultimate decisions because you have the best understanding of what is happening. But at the same time, this is your job, right? And so if you accept it, you know, it's a little bit mission impossible or James Bond, your mission, if you accept it, it is your job to do that. It is a very difficult job. It is a very uh, challenging one. I think it's important. It's impactful. You know, it really matters to people, which is also something that keeps I think all of us going, but yeah, that's, it it, it is what it is. In your perspective, how do you compartmentalize your work and how do you go about doing whatever you do? Well, I mean, everyone has their job, right? So in terms of editorial, Olga is running the show. She has a great deputy chief editor, Tama, who who is running things together with her. We have a a chief development uh, officer, Zahar, who oversees a lot of the commercial side of things to help out. So everyone, everyone has their objectives, their OKRs, their goals. In terms of sustainability, like right now, the main thing for us is community support. So we have a Patreon, people support us there. If someone wants to support us, that's probably the best uh, option. We also do content syndication, which is quite important, um, as well as uh, some advertising, although there we're working with an agency that is, was actually set up to, to support the Ukrainian media sector overall called InfoPoint. Uh, so we outsource a, a bit of that work to them. So, you know, we've managed to, to keep a business model going, I yeah. would say amidst all of this and also the community supports has been tremendous, which is really what has allowed us and will allow us to keep going over the, for the foreseeable future. How do they manage their mental health and how do Holga and her team, how do you, how do they help each other out? Well, I think it's about if somebody really needs it, they have a conversation with Holga, depending on whether they're in editorial or management. If someone needs to take a break for whatever reason or needs some kind of support, you know, I think we just do it. But Otherwise, I think it's about maintaining the sense of working together and people being at the office. We just had a Halloween party despite lack of electricity and water. So it's about keeping the team dynamics going. And I think both Olga and Verena are doing fantastic jobs on keeping everyone together. You you were saying about, you know, India is a great market. uh, Yeah. Is it only after the Ukraine war or has it always been... For the Kyiv Post, I remember India was the fourth biggest country for us, traffic-wise. It was a big source of readership. It was number four, the fourth biggest. So it was typically, if I remember the stats right, it was usually the United States, just because there's a big diaspora. Then it was, I think the order was kind of UK, Ukraine itself. 
India, wow. Canada, Australia. And sometimes it bounced around, but India was pretty stable at like number four. So two and three would change or, you know, Ukraine sometimes would drop out of it. Mm. But India was pretty consistent. And the reason was, I would say, relatively substantial Indian community in Ukraine. There used to be a lot of students who would come, especially medical, Medicals. but also engineering and yeah. things like that. And I remember when I came to Kiev in like 2009 and the economy was still pretty terrible and there wasn't much nightlife or anything like that. There were a handful of restaurants across the whole city. And a couple of them were actually Indian restaurants. If you wanted to run by the community, for the community, and is there a little bit for the international crowd. So yeah, so there, there, there's been this kind of these, this historical tie. Uh, that's one thing. The other thing is, I think there's, you know, India is a very big country and there's a reasonable amount of people who are quite interested in about the world. And mm. to be very frank, one of the reasons why it gets a little bit discounted is that the monetization on advertising of traffic from India is, tends to be a bit lower, but the trends I would say are playing in India's favor. Mm. So, you know, I think we were paying attention to this audience as the TF Post specifically. I think going forward, more and more international sort mm. of English language media are, will be looking towards that. The Indian market, and if you look at what's happening with the Wall Street Journal, uh, New York Times, who are doing these discounted offers to sort of exactly. sell subscriptions, uh, it's a big buy. It's an important market. Like mm -hmm. you need to treat it with, with gravitas. So uh, from a journalist's perspective, what would you suggest a reader when they read a news about a war? Yeah. What are the things they should, you know, follow so that they don't fall prey to misinformation? Well, that's a difficult question. But to be honest, you know, a lot of people from non-media ask me because, you know, whether it's friends from business or whatever. And my advice is like really not functional for them because I follow individual journalists that I know on Twitter because I've worked with them. I've seen them for years. But that's an incredibly privileged position. You can't recommend that to somebody. It's like, learn the names of 150 journalists or 350, and then you'll know that this one slants a bit left and this one slants a bit right and this one overcovers that. That's not actionable advice. I would say that if you want to stay on the safe side, go for more reputable sources. You know, read a little bit about the publication on Wikipedia. I think Wikipedia does a great job, by the way, of maintaining neutrality and objectivity. If you want to really avoid misinformation, just get your news from Wikipedia. It's not going to be as fresh, but it will be better edited to analyze it. But, you know, if you want to stay up with the current events, like there's just a ton of trash in the information space. And, you know, the fact that it's the war is so present on TikTok, you have so many soldiers trading content on TikTok, so many creators creating content on TikTok. And some of the content is fantastic and fabulous. And some of it is incredibly misleading, purposely so. I'm not going to give you a five minute solution. It's really complicated. We've been thinking about it for years. But what I will say is where we can find 5% wins, we should take them. Because this might be a problem that we solve incrementally rather than through a silver bullet. This is Mohammed Rayan for the Hindu Businessman. Thank you for listening.